Please open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's page 1187, if you are borrowing a pew Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to focus on 8 through 15. As you're turning there, I want you to multitask. And so I want you to turn, but I want you to listen to two introductory remarks that I want to make this morning. First, this passage that we have before us this morning is challenging, very challenging for a number of reasons. And I personally would just like to skip it, (laughs) just skip the passage, but we don't do that here because we preach through books of the Bible. And so we must address the challenging portions of Scripture um, as well as the easy and, and comforting portions of Scripture. This passage is challenging. Second thing I want to say as you're finding your place is that I am not going to be able to address all of your questions or concerns that you have regarding this text, this passage. I think it's best to see this passage in one sermon, which is what we're going to do this morning, but there is not enough time to address all of the issues and all of the questions and all of the concerns in one sermon. There's just not enough time. But I want to say, if you have questions, if you have concerns, please, please come talk to me. My metaphorical door is always open. Right? I, I love to interact on God's word with you all. So please come talk to me if you have any questions or concerns about this text. Now you're wondering, wow, <laughs> some strong disclaimers. All right, well, let's read this passage again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith 
and love and sanctity with self-restraint. As a brief reminder to you, 1 Timothy was written so that the church of Jesus Christ would know how to conduct itself. That's why 1 Timothy was written. And specifically, what caused the need for this letter is there was some false teaching that arose within this church in Ephesus. And it, it prompted Paul to write to Timothy because he was there and he gave some Timothy uh, some instructions on what to do with the false teaching on how to handle it. And so when we come to this passage, verses 8 through 15, we've got to remember what I just said. This passage, like all other passages in this book, are meant to show us how we are to conduct ourselves in the household of faith. Now, what we're meant to see in this specific passage, in verses 8 through 15, is that the gospel-shaped church The church that is shaped by Jesus Christ, by his person and work, this church fulfills certain gender-specific roles in the context of the local church. That's what we're meant to see. And more precisely, we see here that men are given one specific role. Because we can't multitask very well. And women are given two roles. That's what we see here in this text. That is the big picture of what we see happening. I want us to keep that big picture in mind because it's going to inform all the little details that are buried in every word of this passage. All right, so the gospel-shaped church fulfills certain gender-specific roles in the context of the local church. Let's break that down a bit. And let's first of all look at the men's role. Now, last time when I preached, uh, about a month ago, I ended my message on verse 8. And I ended it with a call for men in this church to take up the mantle and to lead this church in prayer. Right from verse 8. And some of you thought, oh, we got that done and now it's to the women. You're not off the hook yet. (laughs) You're not off the hook yet because if you're like me, you need to hear things a couple times before it sinks in. And all the women said, Amen. So let's read again verse 8. It's really a transitionary um, text, verse. Therefore, I want the men in every place, that is, in the places that the church met, I want the men in every place that the church met to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and 
dissension. Now what's clear is that men are to take the lead in prayer. This is our role, men. We are to take the lead and pray. But there's a specific way in which men are to pray. What does he say? He says, lifting up holy hands. So lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now the lifting up of holy hands, it's, it's not literally saying you need to lift up your hands when you pray. Paul is using here symbolic language and he's communicating that when you pray, men, you need to have a pure heart. That's the kind of heart, that's the kind of attitude you need to have when you pray. And he says that by saying lifting up holy hands. We're to have a clean heart, a pure heart. This text does not mean that we need to lift our hands when we pray. The external posture is not the point. After all, other portions of the Bible have men and women even praying when kneeling, when lying prostrate, or when standing. The lifting up of holy hands is a way to communicate an inward reality. Men are to pray with a pure heart, and particularly a pure heart when it comes to, what does he say next, when it comes to this idea of wrath and dissension. As I said last time, and I'll say it again, men, we struggle with this. Men tend to struggle with anger, wrath, and dissension. We do. And there is nothing There's nothing that drives this far away from us than prayer. Men, you want to drive wrath and dissension away from your life? Get on your knees. And pray. That's Paul's point. We are to pray with a pure heart that drives away wrath and dissension. All right, so that's men's role. We have one role. We are to lead in prayer. Now let's talk about the women's roles. The women, as I said, they don't have one role. They have two that Paul lists here. And what I want to do is I want to list the roles. I want to name the roles individually, and then we'll look at each one in turn. All right? Are you following me? I'm going to name the role, and then we're going to talk about them. So the first role is one word. It's adornment. Adornment. Secondly, the second role is learning. So the first role is adornment. The second role is learning. So let's first look at adornment. The word adornment, right, as Paul talks about here in verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves. That word adorn means to arrange, to put in order, or to make ready. 
That's what it means to adorn. It's to arrange, to put in order, or to make ready. Women should, look at verse 9 with me. Everyone look at verse 9. I want women to what? To adorn themselves with what? With proper clothing. Now, when Paul says proper clothing, this is a reference to to order, and it's a reference to appropriateness. That's what proper clothing means. Order and appropriateness. So it's not just... It's not just the actual fabric that you put on. That is part of it. But it is your whole demeanor that Paul is talking about here. Adorn yourselves in this way, with proper clothing. That means your whole demeanor, right? Not just what you put on. Not only what you put on. Now, you want to ask, I want to ask, what does proper clothing actually mean? What does it look like? What is proper clothing? Well, thankfully, we are given help here by the Apostle Paul, and we are told what proper clothing looks like. This is great. We are told what it looks like. So we are told, first of all, so I want you to follow me closely. We're first of all told what proper clothing does look like, what it looks like, and then he says what proper clothing does not look like. All right, what it looks like and then what it does not look like. So women, adorn yourselves with proper clothing. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it does not look like. Proper clothing, first of all, looks like this. It looks like, read with me, verse 9, right in the middle there, it looks like clothing that is modest or modestly and discreetly. That's what proper clothing looks like. He's using these participles to describe what proper clothing looks like. So let me break this down a little bit further. All right. Modesty. What does modesty mean? Modesty means decency in behavior. And of course, it applies to dress. That's what modesty means. It's it's decency. So we might say a person is a modest person. We're not talking necessarily about their clothing, about what they are wearing. We're talking about their behavior. They're a modest person, right? It does apply to clothing as well. So modesty means your behavior and you're dressed. What it means, to put it in the negative, it means you're not vain, You're modest, or you're not boastful, right? You're modest. That's modesty. Discreetly means self-control, particularly in this context, in this passage, the particular idea is control over sexual impulses, over sexual lust. Right? But control in general, right? To be discreet in general, but particularly here over sexual impulses or lust. All right? So that's what proper clothing looks like. Women adorn yourselves with proper clothing. That's what it looks like modestly and discreetly. Now, what does it not look like? 
Well, he goes on to say, read it with me again, modestly and discreetly, and he says, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Now, braided hair, gold, and pearls in this culture, in this time, were a sign of wealth and beauty. It's what it was. And Paul is not condemning here these things. These things, in other words, are not intrinsically evil. Why do I say that? Because heaven, heaven is full of gold and pearls. And the Old Testament priestly garments were ornate and expensive. So he can't be condemning these things. These things are not intrinsically evil in and of themselves. So let me summarize here. Women, your role, your first role is to adorn. Adorn yourself with proper clothing. Which clothing is modest and discreet, which entails not flaunting wealth or beauty. He's not against wealth. He's not against beauty. He's against the flaunting of it. Now, hold that thought for a minute and let me continue on. Not only should women adorn themselves with proper clothing, but they should also adorn themselves with something else. Something else, and that is good works. Look at it with me in verse 10. But rather, not with these braided hair, goldy, costly pearls, but rather adorn yourselves by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. In short, Paul is saying, women, put Christ on display. Not yourselves. Put Christ on display with what you wear, not yourself. Now let me be clear. These verses do not mean... I I just want to be clear about this. Please listen closely. These verses do not mean that women are not to wear makeup or look beautiful. It's not what Paul's saying. And it doesn't mean that women cannot have different hairstyles. That's what braided hair is a reference to. Or it doesn't mean they can't have jewelry or wear jewelry. What it means is that women are to dress in such a way that they want to please Christ and not themselves with how they adorn their lives. Listen, women, there are two choices on your shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self with what you wear. And that's what Paul is saying. You see, God is a God over your heart and your body. He's a God over both. 
He cares about your heart and he cares about what you wear. He really does. Having said this, Christians are going to differ. Good, godly Christians are going to differ about what they can and cannot wear. Even in different times and different cultures. It's the principle here. The point, the principle is, is that women, when you come to church, is it about you? Particularly about what you wear? Or is it about our Lord Jesus Christ? What, here's the question, one question I want you to ask yourself that I think would solve 95% of the choices you have to make on Sunday morning or Saturday night. <laughs> what is your goal and what you adorn yourself with? I'm asking, where's your heart? Where's your heart? So it does matter. It does matter what you wear. But what you wear is both external and internal. That's the adornment. Just like men who are to pray with uplifted hands, a pure heart, and just like men struggle with wrath and dissension, so women are to adorn themselves in a certain way with a certain attitude. Because Paul knows that women struggle in this area of adornment. So listen, let me say that a plainly dressed woman may attend church to draw attention to herself just as much as an ornately dressed woman. Wear what you do to please Christ and adorn yourself first and foremost with good works. With good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So, in summary, the first role of women in church is adornment, both externally and internally. All right? That's role number one. Role number two is the role of learning. And we find this in verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. All right, let me say, as we think about this passage, let me say six things about the details of these verses before we get to what they actually mean, the central meaning. All right, there's a lot packed in these two verses. So let me talk a little bit about the details. First, I'm going to give you six, six things I want to say about the details. First, this whole passage, 
this whole passage, as I've already said, but I want to make explicit, is that is, is the context of the local church. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, and by extension, all New Testament churches, how to conduct itself. And all the references here in this passage only make sense when you consider it in light of the church, in the context of the church. It's the first thing I want to say and the most important thing I want to say about verses 11 and 12. This passage is the context of the church. That will help us. Put that in your mind and let's move on to the second thing. It was countercultural for Paul to say a woman must quietly receive instruction or learning. Because some portions of Judaism, not unlike some cultures and religions today, said it was sinful for a woman to learn Scripture. But God says through Paul that women are to learn the Scripture. That's what he's saying. This is the main point. This is the role. Learning. I want you to see that. I want you to see we get focused on the not here. The role is adornment and now learning. All right? So that's the second thing. Women, um, it, it's so countercultural what Paul is saying here. The, the learning, that they are to learn. Third, this text is not addressing... Now, some of you are going to be like, why are you saying this? Just hear me out. This text is not addressing unmarried women. It's not addressing unmarried women. It is just addressing women, whether married or unmarried. The word woman used here, that's we translate woman, is the same word... Um, is the normal word, excuse me, it's a normal word for woman that we see elsewhere in Scripture. Just like the word man in verse 8 is the word for man, for male. So we have the word for female and we have the word for male here in, this, in these verses. Now this is important because some say that this passage is addressing unmarried women. And therefore married women... What Paul says here does not apply to them. Therefore, these same people say that if a woman is married to a pastor, this text does not apply, right? Because it's only unmarried women. And therefore, she can do what these things say she can't do. She can preach and exercise authority. And I think this is partly the reason why you see many churches today, just churches today that have pastors, plural, Joe and Jane Smith. You see it. Pastors Joe and Jane Smith. And this is why. This is only addressing unmarried women. It's not addressing unmarried women, it's addressing women. Fourth, when it says a woman must quietly receive instruction in verse 11 and remain quiet at the end of verse 12, sort of at the beginning and end, 
it does not mean, and I just want to say this, I think you get this, but it does not mean that women cannot talk in church. It does not mean that women can't talk in church. That would violate other passages of Scripture. For example, just like 1 Corinthians 11.5. This is an example. Paul tells us, he actually tells us what quietness or silence looks like. It doesn't look like you can't say anything. What does it look like? It looks like the end of verse 11 with entire submissiveness. The quietness and silence is a reference to a heart of submission to the godly ordained pastors of the church. It's not saying you can't talk in church. Number five. When Paul talks about a woman not teaching... Verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach. When he talks about a woman not teaching, the best way to understand this is to see the way he uses this word in the context of the letter. And so, you don't have to turn to these passages, just, rem- just, just listen. In 1 Timothy 3, just a chapter later, Paul speaks about the authoritative office and function of a pastor. And it is the pastor or elder or bishop, all the same office. It's that office who must, he says, be able to teach. That's what he says. They must be able to teach. Later on in chapter 4, verse 11, he says to Timothy, To prescribe and teach. Tells it to Timothy. To prescribe and teach. In verse 13 of chapter 4, he tells Timothy, right? Here's what the elders and pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to give themselves to exhortation and teaching. Later in chapter 5, he says that the elders are worthy of double honor who do so, especially the elders who work hard at preaching and teaching. So when Paul says women are not allowed to teach, the teaching he has here in mind is that official teaching in the context of the local church for the pastors. Right? It does not mean that women cannot teach. Even, listen, even in the context of the church. For other passages actually do indeed instruct women to teach in the context of the church. Right? We have passages that teach women to instruct older women to teach younger women, for example. Alright? So that's number five. Number six, lastly, when Paul says exercising authority over men, he has in mind here this pastoral office and function. This is an ecclesial authority. Not a state, not a familial in the family, not in the government, not in the state. It's an ecclesial authority over the local church. And this authority functions in the church primarily in two ways. In teaching, in preaching, and in governing. So women are not to exercise authority over men. That 
role is reserved for males who are pastors. They exercise authority by preaching and teaching and by governing. Now, putting all of those details together, (laughs) all of those six together, here's a summary of verses 11 and 12. Women are to learn the Scripture. Sisters, let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. Learn the Scripture. But in the context of the local church, they do so in a certain way, by receiving instruction with submission to the pastors or elders. That means that they are not to teach in a way or manner reserved for the pastors, nor are they to exercise authority over men. In short, we could say women cannot be pastors and preachers in the church. Now, some, I know all of you are kind to me this morning, (laughs) thank you, Um, and I trust you'll be kind to me after this message, Um, but some would either be walking out or looking very angrily at me right now. I've had it done to me in Sierra Leone multiple times. I know what it looks like Um, when we teach this over in Sierra Leone, 1 Timothy. Um, But some object Some object. And they say this passage is bound by the cultural situation in Ephesus. Part of the false teaching, they say, is that women were teaching and they were domineering over men, almost like an ancient form of feminism in Ephesus. That's what they say. This passage is bound by the cultural situation. And therefore... The implication is, it doesn't apply anymore. Women can be pastors. They can be preachers. Now, I've heard that argument, but this is why I love God's Word and why verse 13 is so important. Reasons are important, aren't they? Paul gives a reason. Read it with me. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So do you see what Paul is doing here? I think some of you do. Some of you nodded with me. He is grounding his reason for the prohibition for women to serve as pastors and preachers on creation and the fall. If he wanted to make a case that the church in Ephesus not be like the culture, he could have given a cultural reason, but he doesn't. He gives a creation reason. And so what are these two reasons? First, women cannot serve as pastors and preachers. Here's the reason why. Because this role is a role of authority. And that role is reserved for males only. Just as 
Adam, who was first created, he is the head. He is in the place of authority, not Eve. That's what Paul is saying. That's the first reason. Because of creation. The second reason is because of the fall. Women cannot serve as pastors and preachers because of the fall. Verse 14. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now some take this to mean that women cannot serve as pastors and preachers because they are more gullible and prone to deception. I don't think this is the case. With all respect to those who believe that. Yes, Eve was deceived. That's clear. I'm not saying she wasn't deceived. She was deceived. But that was because as you study the account in Genesis, Adam shirked his responsibility as the leader. As the head. As the protector of his wife. And Eve, when he did that, as is common to do, took matters into her own hands and then completely reversed the roles and usurped the authority over her husband. I know sin has made a mess of things, hasn't it? And this is precisely Paul's point. Sin has made a mess. It's made a mess. So Paul is saying that in the fall, the whole creation order of authority has been overturned. Adam was the head, but blew it. Eve was supposed to follow and submit, but blew it. In contrast, church, shaped by the gospel, follow the pattern of creation, not the fall. Which is a church that is served by men who teach and lead and by women who learn and follow. So what Paul is doing here, in summary, what he's doing here is he's drawing a line in the sand for all of churches for all of time. But it raises a lot of questions as we flesh this out in practice. Is it right for a woman to preach if she's not a pastor? She's not a pastor. I said not pastors and preachers, but she's called to do so under the authority of the elders of a church. That's a very good question. She's not a pastor, but she's called by the pastors to preach under the authority of the church. Well, the answer is no. <laughs> And for this reason, I want to highlight something here. Paul is not just forbidding the office. He is also forbidding the function. Teaching and exercising authority in verse 11 are functions. They're verbs. They're not merely offices. And that's why. That's why. That's why a woman, even though she's not a pastor, can't preach, even though she's called to do so, by the authority of the elders in a church. That's why. 
Because Paul is forbidding here not just the office, but the function. So is it right, let me ask this, is it right for a woman to read scripture in church? Lead music in church? Or usher in church? Well, (laughs) now what we have done is we have gone further from the line. I said, Paul is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying what women cannot do here in these two prohibitions, if you will, if you put them together, teaching and exercising authority over men. And so when we go out from the line, and the further we get from the line, the more wisdom and discernment it's going to require. And these questions are going to be answered differently by different churches that embrace our same view on women's and men's roles in the church. They're going to be answered differently by a church just like ours that embraced just what I taught, that we teach, that all the elders would embrace and teach, that we all teach here. Now, with all that I've said, let me make three things clear, and I want you to listen to these three things closely. I really mean these three things because what I just said is, is kind of you know, negative in a way. Um, but, oh, my heart is not that it would be negative. First, what Paul says here, that we've just said, what Paul says here has nothing to do with ability, but everything to do with authority. I, a few months ago, I had the privilege of attending... Um, Our brother now, gone to be with his Savior, Pastor Johnson. I attended his funeral. And his dear wife got up and gave a great eulogy. But when she got up there and she stood in that pulpit that he had stood in for almost 30 years, I believe, she said this when she got up in the pulpit, Turn in your Bibles too! (laughs) And she practically preached. And it was really good. (laughs) I wanted to say amen, sister. I said it in my heart. Now, I know and we know what she was doing wasn't preaching. She was giving a eulogy for her late dear husband. Right? We know that. My point is, is that This woman is an excellent communicator. Excellent communicator. And so are so many women. The command to teach and and exercise authority has nothing to do with ability. Nothing. Second, sort of related to that, let me make also clear that this limit on women's role in the church has nothing to do with women being inferior or second class to men. Not at all. Women and men are equal in dignity, worth, value, intellect, because both women and men are made in the image of our great God. But 
when it comes to roles in the church, as well as roles in the home, there are certain things women and men do. There is a ton of things that men and women both do. But there are certain things that are unique to each gender. And third, I want to be clear that these roles for men and women are positive. Paul is not so much here saying what we can't do. He is saying what we can and should do. Unfortunately, like Adam and Eve, who focused on all the one tree that they couldn't have, we tend to, as human beings, focus on what we can't or don't have. We just do. But think about it. Think about it. Women can serve in the church in hundreds of ways, with the exceptions mentioned here in this text. So now we come to this difficult verse, verse 15. Let's read it. Verse 15. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, there are various interpretations of this verse. Some say it means that women will be safe in childbearing. But personally, I don't see how that argument or that interpretation makes sense because many women have died in childbearing. And so it just doesn't really make sense to me, right? That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that women will be preserved or saved through childbearing. That is, that women will work out their salvation through the bearing and raising of children. The word preserved is the word translated elsewhere in the Bible, salvation. I'm not sure why they use the word preserved here. It's probably a better word is salvation. Right? And so this word salvation, as some of you know, as most of you know, I think, it's not referring to initial salvation because Paul uses salvation in different ways, in different senses, in different tenses. So this salvation is not initial salvation. It's not justification type salvation. It's referring to the ongoing type salvation. So women will be saved. They will be, we could say, sanctified through the bearing of children. And I think, moms, you know that your children are your greatest or one of your greatest sanctification tools. As well as you dads. (laughs) As well as you dads as well. All right? And now third, the other interpretation is that some say this is a reference actually to Mary and Jesus. Women, as represented by Eve, just talked about Eve in the prior verse, women will be saved through the bearing of the child, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, however you take verse 13, and we shouldn't be dogmatic about it, you have to say, at the end of the day, that women, you have a tremendous God-given, we could say, role or privilege by nature 
in bearing and rearing children. This is certainly not a command for every single woman to be married and to bear children. It is speaking in general terms about women having the gift of bearing children, which God uses as a means of sanctifying grace, if I'm tipping my hat to my interpretation. In a way, it's almost like a third role here. In a way. But that depends on how you land on verse 15 in terms of the interpretation. Brothers, sisters, this passage is beautiful. I want you to see it that way. I want you to see with the eyes of faith what God has given us here and rejoice at the beauty in what God has said. And you know what? This passage, it leads to freedom for men and women. It leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. How? Men, you can be free from your wrath and dissension by prayer. Women, you can be free in your adornment to adorn yourself for Christ and not others. Women, you can be free to learn the scriptures and all you can so that you can pass it on, especially to those that God has placed in your life. This passage brings freedom. Why? Because in every area of life, God is a God of order and design. We see this in creation. We see this in personhood. We see this in the family. And we see this in the church. A hammer has a specific purpose, does it not? If you use a hammer for a soccer ball, that's going to hurt. It has a design and purpose. The church is beautifully designed by God. After all, Christ, our Lord, our Savior, He is the bridegroom. And we all are the bride. Therefore, Christ is the one all of us follow. Through His Spirit, we follow Him by His Word. He is the head of the church and He is the high priest who continually prays. He is the man, the great mediator between God and man who prays for us. And we all learn full submission to Him. This is why I say that the gospel or the Jesus-shaped church fulfills gender-specific roles in the context of the local church. The church has roles for both men and women. Men are to pray, women are to adorn and learn. So let us be a church that gladly and joyfully accepts this beautiful and